Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Oh, I would like to introduce our main speaker for this evening, Emily L. from San Diego. My name is Emily, and I'm an alcoholic. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. Uh, really grateful that you're here, because otherwise uh, there wouldn't be a meeting. So um, I would just be here by myself. And um, that's, that's how I was. I was a lone wolf. I don't know if you can identify with that. Um, my sobriety date is October 9th, 2010. I have a sponsor, and she's taken me through all 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous over there. And we've been through all 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I used to walk into traditions meetings and be like, oh, boring, this is going to be so lame. And um, I really thought that, and because I thought the steps were the exciting part. Um, and then I went to a meeting in Virginia. Um, I was invited to stay with family out there. I was actually invited to stay there again. Um, so that was really nice. And they're like, yeah, we'll get to a meeting. I was like, sweet, AA works everywhere. And it does. Um, and I went to a meeting in Virginia and it was a traditions meeting, and I walk in, I'm like, oh, it's going to be great. And I hear this guy with this really thick accent. He goes, the 12 steps are so you don't commit suicide, and the 12 traditions are so you don't commit homicide. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that makes them way more exciting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and it's true, and there's actually two two places here uh, in these books. I have a, a tiny little big book, uh, Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Got this in uh, one of my trips to the psych ward. Um, I actually was given to me, I ripped out the front page that said, like, you know, property of Scripps Hospital. They were like, here, just just take it. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and, um, and so I did. And I've had it ever since. Uh, one of my first Alcoholics Anonymous meetings was in 2008, um, but like I said, I have since 2010, sober. Um, so I kept coming back. Uh, that's what I was told. I would come to these Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and I would hear, keep coming back, you know, keep working if you work it, easy does it, keep it simple, sweetie. I'm like, oh, this is great. Everyone sounds Southern now, sorry. Anyway, but <laughs> I, I did get sober in San Diego. Uh, this is where I'm from, born and raised, uh, and I was a very straight-edge, clean-living kid. You know, I surfed, played soccer, and got good grades, and had a host of friends, and I, you know, life started to happen on life's terms. But I just threw myself into those positive outlets. Um, but it did reach a point where, you know, I, I was less inclined to pick up these good tools. And instead, um, I started picking up a drink. And actually, my first drink was not my first drunk. Um, it was a New Year's Eve party in high school. And uh, they, my friends, it was like an after-school special, just like verbatim. You know, just don't knock it till you try it. And I was like, yeah, well, <laughs> like, I'm not sure this is for me. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I'll try it. And so it was uh, cranberry vodka. And I was like, well, you know what? The, the vodka just makes the cranberry juice taste bad. Like, I like sweet tip flavors. And uh, thank you very much. I tried it, and I'm knocking it. And so I put it aside. Yeah, so I felt pretty good about myself. And uh, months later, winter formal came around, and I was dressed in this beautiful gown. And I had longer hair then. That was done up. And I had makeup done. And, you know, we were dancing the night away, having a great time. And uh, we went to an after party, and they had Southern Comfort. 
And so that, with some Coca-Cola, that was very sweet. It went down very quickly, and I experienced that first drunk. Um, I experienced the effects produced by alcohol, which I really liked. <laughs> I was sitting at this kitchen table. I'll never forget. It was like if you've seen that movie Inception, where all of a sudden, like, the whole world, like, everything just kind of stops. And I'm like, wow, like, this is what they were saying. Like, this is what they meant. Don't knock it. To- I've tried it, and I like it. I was a big fan. And... Um, the sun was coming up, everyone else was passed out, and I was absolutely thrilled. And I call up one of my friends on my Nokia cell phone, not sponsored, but anyway, so I call them up. They're not even around anymore. <laughs> Snake, anyone? Anyone? Okay. So I like, so I call up my friend, I'm like, I leave her a voicemail, I'm like, Monica, okay, I got drunk for the first time, I totally get what you guys are talking about, um, I, but only special occasions, okay? Only special occasions. I love you. Bye. Like, already trying to control it. And um, I'm like, special occasions. So... Prom comes around, that's a special occasion. Uh, homecoming the next year, special occasion. Uh, you know, prom again, winter formal. Uh, graduating high school, special occasion. Uh, you know, celebrating everybody going off to college, special occasions. I go up to Santa Barbara, and every day is a special occasion up there. <laughs> and um, so I'm going to school, and I'm functioning. I tell you what, I was functioning. I was still getting good grades. I was able to show up to class. Um, I go up the second year, and I'm starting to black out. I'm not able to, I'm not able to function. It was getting pretty progressively worse. Um, if you keep coming back to these rooms and to these meetings, you will hear that. The, d- the disease of alcoholism is progressive. That is absolutely true, 100%. And I, I can testify, you know, I can say from experience that the disease of alcoholism is progressive. Um, but what I want to share in every single meeting, wherever I go, is that recovery is also progressive. And so what's pretty radical about this thing is that I have a disease of mind, body, and soul. You know, the body that once I put alcohol in my system, you know, and I'm a real alcoholic, like that, that was my drug of choice. That was my number one. I tried other things. I was able to put them down, but alcohol, that was my first and last, you know, I, I just, and it was legal by the time I, you know, I'm 21, 22. I'm like, yes, you know, and I'm Jersey Shore came out. I'm like, oh, they make it look so fun, you know, and I'm like, I can get paid for this, you know, and like, I just was a legend in my own mind. And then 2007, you know, Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan and Paris Hilton are having their psychotic breaks. And I'm like, well, why don't I have mine? (laughs) And so, you know, (laughs) they make that look glamorous too. So I can do that. (laughs) And, um, and I did. And, uh, And that's terrifying. Um, my mother likes to uh, remind me that insanity is not an event. Um, it is a, a series of willful steps towards insanity. And then you, my, my mind reached that breaking point a number of times. And um, I, I reached a point where I was beyond human aid. You know, I, I needed a divine intervention. I needed a power greater than me. I, I was at the mercy of a power greater than me for quite some time. You know, alcohol had become my master. You know, uh, that 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 effect produced by alcohol had become, you know, my obsession. So the disease of mind, body, and soul. So I've got that allergy of the body. When I put alcohol in my system, there, the enzymes in my stomach, I don't know if I was born this way or if by way of drinking, I made them this way, but I don't produce, I don't break down alcohol properly. It goes into my system. It flushes through my body as ammonia and I crave more. And scientists call you know, uh, alcohol, a poison. So I crave poison, which already sounds insane. And then the normal drinker, you know, they drink, it breaks down, their enzymes break down alcohol properly, it flushes through their system, they have half a glass of wine, they go, ooh, I feel a buzz. And then they stop, and they put it down. 
that blows my mind because that was not what I wanted. I didn't, I never wanted one drink. I wanted all of the drinks. I wanted to get super messed up. I still, to this day, people are like, do you ever think about, you know, drinking alcohol? I'm like, of course I do. I'm an alcoholic. I like the effect produced by alcohol. Like, yeah, but I'm not thinking about like pairing it with cheese and like getting that IPA and, you know, no, no, I want to get messed up, you guys. Like, I want to get seriously shammered and I don't, I want to go into oblivion. Oblivion, you know, like that's what I want to do. I feel like I have to whisper because it's like, it's so sensitive, this microphone. Anyway, so <clears throat> it's probably a really good practice for me. So I, um, you know what? One second. Hold on one second. Okay. So I have to like pray all throughout the day. <laughs> I have to like slow myself down because I, I don't do this by myself anymore, which is so radical. Um, welcome if you're new. Absolutely welcome. And keep coming back. Like, these meetings are for you. I didn't understand that when I was new and came in. I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't understand a lot of things. <laughs> I still don't. But um, but people, thankfully, are so kind, and they put it together for me. Um, but they said keep coming back because, you know, we meet frequently and in public places like this so that you new people can find this, the fellowship you seek. You can find the solution. And that's my hope is to carry this message to other alcoholics practice these principles in my, all my affairs and help someone else to achieve sobriety. Like, that is my primary purpose today. So back to the physical allergy. So I, I drink alcohol. I crave more. There, there's a big difference between myself as an alcoholic and a normal drinker. I am not the moderate, you know, temperate drinker. No, by no means. So I have that phenomenon of craving. It's a phenomenon. Like, who craves poison? I do. And so, um, you know, they, they call it a phenomenon. And if I don't have alcohol in my system, and today I don't, praise God, but like, if I don't have alcohol in my system, I can't crave it. I crave food, I crave water, I crave sleep, I crave surfing, I crave all sorts of good things, but I don't crave alcohol today because it's not in my body. So I, it's impossible for me to say, oh, I have a craving for alcohol. No, I may have a thought about alcohol, I may be obsessing about drinking again, but that's where the steps kick in. You know, it's a spiritual program, and we straighten from the inside out. Like, I thought that I could straighten from the outside in, you know. Maybe I'll just work out more. Maybe I'll just do more Sudoku puzzles. You know, maybe I'll just, you know, some way I will be able to fix, you know, this thing inside me, which I don't really understand what it is. I really didn't know. People would ask me, like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I really didn't know. And then, I would, and then even more baffling still, I would just be like, I'm fine. And that, that really just crushed the people around me, you know, um, with tears in their eyes. They're like, what can we do to help you? And I'm like, you can leave me alone. I, I seriously, like, alcohol, alcoholism, so that obsession of the mind, that's not a fleeting thought. That's like, I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink. Ooh, there it is, you know? Okay, that's an obsession. Like, no other thoughts are coming in my brain other than when am I going to get that next fix? When am I going to get that next drunk? When am I going to get, when, when, when? Oh, there it is. And I will do anything to get it. It's wild to come back to places like Allied Gardens and drive through, you know, near SDSU and kind of meander through Pacific Beach and Ocean Beach because this is where I caused so much wreckage to myself and to everyone around me. The devastating nature of alcoholism is that it doesn't just affect me, it affects everyone around me. But it's a disease of perception, so I don't think I have a problem. I don't think I have a disease. I tell myself I don't, and I'll tell all of you I don't as I'm stealing from you, as I'm like, you know, getting checked in to the psych ward like this, you know, and I'm just like, I don't have a problem. <laughs> They're like, you sure about that? <laughs> Can you sign your own name? I'm like, no, <laughs> but I don't have a problem, you know. So, and that's, 
Again, that's terrifying uh, to be in that position. That is so scary. And I will tell you that like, it is nothing short of a miracle that I'm able to formulate a sentence right now that is coherent, that you can actually look at me and I can make eye contact and you're going, what? Like, I just... Nothing short of miraculous. If you are sitting here today and you're identifying as an alcoholic or a drug addict and you don't have alcohol or drugs coursing through your veins right now, take a deep breath and look at that. That is a miracle because... I got a chance to take these 12 steps with a sponsor. I got to like rigorously, honestly, and I love how we say rigorously honest. I'm, I'm such a person of extremes. It was like, it, you couldn't just tell me to be honest. You need to be rigorously honest. I'm like, okay, you know, let's do this. <laughs> what are we doing? You know, and, you know, and, and what we're doing is, is put, you know, very eloquently in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, this little big book that I have here. And Bill's story, oh my gosh, Bill W., he's great. So, um, he, he's chatting it up with his homie, uh, Ebby Thatcher, Ebby T on the ones and twos. And he says, my friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. This is a practical program. This is a logical program. There are absolute statements all throughout this book. Yes, we say there's suggestions, but I think that's just so I don't run away. (laughs) It's also suggested that I pull the cord on my parachute if I jump out of a plane. But you know, if I pick up this kit of spiritual tools that's laid out before me for fun and for free, just, just, just because here it is, just, just try something different. Just try something different. If I just do that, then I'm less inclined to pick up a drink today. You know, we get a daily reprieve, reprieve, which means postponement of certain punishment or death, a daily reprieve contingent upon our spiritual maintenance every single day. So, so that spiritual part of it, you know, what's pretty radical as I came in here and I was, I was, agnostic, borderline atheist. I was angry and resentful towards the religion of my upbringing. I gave it up for Lent one year, and I was just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with all of that. And I cruise in here at Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm just told, you know what? You just keep it simple. Stay in step one. What's that first word? I'm like, we? Yes, it's a we program. We recover together. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. Like, okay, okay, but what about this God? I see God. No, don't worry about that. Just stay in step one. Stay in step one. And you guess, and guess what? You can call it a higher power. And that, that G-O-D, that can stand for all sorts of things. In October 9th, 2010, I had, I had the gift of desperation, G-O-D. Somebody put that together for me years later. And I was like, really? And, um, that makes sense to me today because that desperation, I come in here and they're like, that's a gift. I'm like, you call this a gift? And they're like, yes, we do. And um, I'm like, why? They're like, because maybe it'll make you willing. And I'm like, well, what if I'm still not willing? And they're like, this is, this is after the fourth trip to the psych ward, 5150, jail for the first time, lost cleanest women's prison, all my stuff given away to Goodwill. My dad said, good luck. Evicted from my apartment. I have a t-shirt, pair of pants, and a rainbow sandals. And I'm still giving you guys attitude about being willing? <laughs> they're like, hilarious. But the big smiles and the hugs keep coming back. Emily works if you work it. I'm like, okay. And so they said, if you're not willing, then you pray for the willingness to be willing. And I'm like, what if I'm still not willing? They're like, can you pray for the willingness to be willing to be willing? I'm like, okay, I see where you're going here. <laughs> and I don't like it. But you know what? I'm going to keep coming back. And so I did. And, um, you know, that first step, like it's surrender, you know, it's just like, okay, 
I did that. We, we admit it. We do not. I did that. We did it. We do it together. And I love that. So now I take other women through the steps I get to, and we are on step one today, you know, and then a sponsor and I, we took t- step two today, you know, like that's how I stay in this work is by passing it on, give it away to keep it. I had over a year sober at one point, but I was dry. Like it's been mentioned. I was so dry. I went through the steps like a checklist. I was just like, cool. I did it. One, two, three. Ooh, I don't like this sponsor anymore. I'll have that sponsor now. And I just, you know, I just went through like a little brat. I just didn't want to change anything. So like, you have to change one thing. I'm like, I'm like, what's that? And they're like everything. I'm like, no. And so I just, you know, I refused. And um, that led me to that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization again. And people are looking at me like kind of like angry at this point. And they're like, seriously, dude, like, can you not get it? Like one, one woman said to me, she said, Emily, I know you're not supposed to tell people, you know, that they are alcoholics and diagnose them. You have to diagnose yourself. You're a real alcoholic. Like, you cannot drink. Like, you, like, seriously, you put a little bit in your system and you're nuts. Like, you just you lose all sense of sanity. And so she said, if you get nothing out of this big book, absolutely nothing. Highlight, commit to memory, put this in your heart and soul. And this was after having a year sober, but I was dry. I tried to kill myself that same summer. I, you know, I tried to commit suicide because, like it's been said, it was like, if I don't have a program without alcohol, like, I mean, I'm an unlovely creature in my cups you know, drinking, I'm an unlovely creature without a program. Like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, with or without a drink, uh, job or no job, (laughs) wife or no wife, they say, like, if I'm not working this program, if I don't live and breathe this thing, if I don't, you know, what is this live spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others? I cannot, I he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. I mean, that's just life. That's life. That's explaining life on life's terms. If I don't do that, you know, I have three options, jails, institutions, and death. And I've hit two of those three. So really, I mean, who am I kidding? I mean, not myself anymore or anybody else around me. Um, So she said, if you get nothing out of this book, absolutely nothing, get this one paragraph, and it's at the end of More About Alcoholism, page 43 in the fourth edition. It says, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. She said, Emily, I don't care what you call that higher power. Because I told her, I'm having trouble with the higher power thing. And then that's when she told me this paragraph. She's like, it could be, you know, group of drunks, great outdoors, gratitude or death, good orderly direction, whatever you want. You can just, but it's not you. (laughs) I don't keep myself sober. I get myself drunk. I get myself into psych wards. I get myself into jail, stone cold sober. I mean, I thought I was like trying to be the hero at the party, you know, and they, they interview me, the interview. (laughs) See, this is how twisted my brain is. I I call being interviewed by a police officer. (laughs) Like next question, sir. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. We'll be right back. You know, downtown, you know, uh, they're like, she's clearly high, but I wasn't, I was totally sober. This is what's so insane. I'm like, this is crazy, but it was. And, um, so, oh my goodness, you guys. So what's so radical is that we don't do this alone. There, those traditions, my favorite tradition. So now I've studied the traditions. I have a favorite. It's tradition nine. We ought never be organized. <laughs> that one makes me chuckle, especially when I'm in a meeting and everyone's like, where's the format? What's going on? Oh my God. I'm like we ought never be organized. <laughs> this is what's keeping it going. It's kind of a paradox, but it's great. Okay. So there's paradoxes and absolute statements all over these books. It's great. So tradition nine. So here we go. So we just read about the individual and like what we have to do to survive, not commit suicide, right? Okay. So now not to commit homicide. Here we go. Uh, tradition nine, <clears throat> unless 
there is approximate conformity to AA's 12 traditions, the group too can deteriorate and die. So, we of AA do obey spiritual principles, first, because we must, and ultimately, because we love the kind of life such obedience brings. Great suffering and great love are AA's disciplinarians. We need no others. Wow, I had so many other disciplinarians before. Jailers, (laughs) psychiatrists. But really, they were just trying to help, and they didn't know how. And, like, Dr. Silkworth is so rad. He talks about this, and he's like, we're at a loss here. Dr. Young, he's like, you're hopeless. Like, I I really have nothing for you other than do this spiritual and altruistic movement called Alcoholics Anonymous. It seems to be working. Bill Wilson, he was cruising around, and he's, like, trying to get, you know, guys sober, and he's out with Dr. Bob Smith, and they're like, let's do this. Let's get people sober. And then Bill comes home very, very upset, and he's just like, Lois, Lois. I think of, you know, family guy, but (laughs) I'm not going to do my family guy impressions. I won't do it. (laughs) Okay, no, I won't do it. I won't do it. Okay, so... But Bill, he goes home to Lois, and he's just like, I don't understand. These guys aren't staying sober. I don't know what's going on. She goes, well, are you sober right now? He goes, of course I am. Of course I'm sober. Look at me. And she goes, well, then it's working. Keep doing it. You know, the devastating thing about this disease is that, you know, it's like it kills people. This is life and death. Um, you know, I, I've been in the rooms for 10 years, and I've been sober for eight and working a program, you know, for a number of those years, too but rigorously in the last, like, couple of years. And, and that's where I've seen the real relief. That's where I've gotten the real freedom, is when I've thrown myself into this program and made it number one. Because when I put AA first, everything else becomes first class. Again, it's like a logical paradox. It's like surrender to win. Like, you hear all these things, and you think, like, that's nonsense. It sounds nonsense to an insane brain. It sounds like nonsense to an insane person. And, and it is. When you get in here... It's pretty radical. Um, you know, great love and great suffering. Those are my disciplinarians today. Um, and how I suffer, it doesn't have to be miserable. That's what's so awesome. It's like suffering is a part of this life from headaches to heartaches. It's going to happen. If I'm going to drink over one thing, I'll drink over anything. And I know that. Let the record show, <laughs> let those records show that I will drink over anything. Um, so, so really, like, what is it going to be for me? Like, am I going to choose? you know, accepting spiritual help, or am I going to blot out my existence, you know, just one drink at a time, slowly or quickly, you know, um, I'm really grateful that I read that part in Alcoholics Anonymous where it talks about, like, the female alcoholic, the woman alcoholic, how we hit our bottoms harder and faster, and that was cool to learn, because I'm thinking, coming in here at 21, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I'm just way too young, like, this isn't for me, like, I, you know, I have so much life to live, and maybe I can handle it and manage it, I was in PB at, that was one of my very first Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and they have a podium like this, and, um, at the Alano Club, and, and I identify as a newcomer, and they're like, oh, would you like to share? And so I go up, I'm like, sure. And so I go up, and I'm like, wow, these are some really great stories, and, you know, thanks so much, everybody. And I have a tall boy in my backpack, but I'm not gonna drink it tonight. And they're like, oh, that's great, that's really great, you know, that's awesome, that's really good. I was like, yeah, yeah, and I felt all pumped up and took the bus, you know, over to the to the ne- my next stop, which was a, a birthday dinner because I still had friends then, and um, at that point I still had some friends, and uh, and I go to this birthday dinner and they're like, wow, Emily, so what are you up to? What were you? Where were you at? Like re- before this? And I'm like, I was in Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And they're like, really? Wow, that's that's amazing. Oh my gosh, like. How- incredible. How are you doing? I'm like, it was pretty cool. I mean, it was really inspiring. I mean, it was, it was good stuff. And so, um, we sit down to dinner and, uh, just like in the book, you know, it's like everyone's ordering their food and their drinks. And, and I, 
I proceed to order my drinks. I'm like, oh, I'll have a fat tire, please, and uh, maybe I'll have a shot of tequila. And they're like, my friends, normal people, know more about Alcoholics Anonymous than I do. And they, they look at me and they go, where were you before this? And I was like, um, I, was, I was in an AA meeting. Yes, and I would like a blah, blah, blah. And they're like, Emily, do, do you know what that means? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It was my first meeting. It seemed like they were just learning how to, like, function, like how to be good drinkers or something. I'm really not sure. And they were like, uh, <laughs> okay, normal drinkers are like, that means you stop drinking. I'm like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> Definitely not happening. So I just, you know, I just keep going. And um, those people, you know, sadly, like, I, I don't talk to any of them today. They don't talk to me, rather. You know, like, I became a very unsafe person to be around. You know, I just... This is the devastating thing of this. It's transformative. You know, uh, alcoholism, it transformed me into, into something like, I'm reading Lord of the Rings right now. And, uh, you know, it transformed me into that, like, like Smeagol turns to Gollum. You know what I mean? Like Smeagol was like me, like a, you know, a happy, happy person just fishing and having a good time. And then the precious cruises in, which for me is alcohol. And, and, and I'm just like, but I want it. You know? And I, I become this, you know, this Gollum, you know, I just like, just disgusting version of myself. Like, you can tell there's a little bit of Emily in there, there's a little bit of Smeagol left, but it's very minimal. But there's so many good lines in there, and it's like where there's breath, you know, where there's life, there is hope. You know, I heard that in a meeting the other day. I hear some really good stuff in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I'm so grateful to have a home group, to have a fellowship about me, to have to hear these things that, like, I just, like, throw a dollar in a, in a bucket, you know? It's like, wow, like, you know, this is incredible stuff. Like, you know, I, I used to wake up or come to and be like, I'm still here, you know? And this day is going to be so long. Like, I just want it to end. I want this all to end. And now I wake up, and it's like, sometimes my, my brain is running, and it's it's running about some, like, quality problems. <laughs> it's running about some, like, well, how am I going to, you know, take care of this one business? Right now? Like, you know, and then how am I going to be able to help my mom with it? Like, my brain is running now with, like, these quality, good, good difficulties. It's not even problems. It's like there is a solution to every single problem in this life. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And, and I saw that as an option. And that's, that's, you know, that's not my life today. If I keep picking up these, these tools, if I keep saying yes, you know, thank you so much, Brian, for, for asking me to come out here tonight. Because if I keep saying yes to, to, you know, opportunities to be of service like this, because this is a 12-step, you know, showing up. You all showed up here, you're all working a 12-step. That's radical. We're all working a 1 in 12 right now, which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, and then all those steps in between. It's like... Like, I get to do this. We get to do this together. You know, we're not doing this alone. I, I've i gotten to live so much life in the span of eight years that, like, it brings me to tears. I, you know, it says we alcoholics are sensitive people or sensitive creatures. And, wow, I'm so sensitive. Like, I get more sensitive by the second. And, like, to the point where my mom's like, you're crying again. I'm like, I know. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. I mean, like, I seriously, and if I think about it, it's like I was numbing out. I was checking out. I was just, there was no room for feeling. I couldn't feel for others. Certainly not. You know, full-blown narcissist, just full of myself. Self will run riot. Selfishness and self-centeredness, that we believe is the root of our troubles. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's, it's the job, it's the, or lack thereof, it's, it's you, it's, it's that person. I'm pointing everywhere but myself. There was no sense of accountability. Um, you know, faith has to be working in and through me 24-7. And, like, 
it's, it's a progressive thing, you know, like I didn't just like get a relationship with God overnight. It wasn't like, okay, cool. I've got this thing. And when I thought I got this thing, that's when I relapsed. So it's like, okay, so how does this work? And my sponsor's favorite saying is one day at a time. It is truly one day at a time. It's one moment at a time. Congratulations to 90 days. Molly, that was so cool to see you take that time. And I got to talk with you on the break for a minute. Um, and like, you know, we come in here and we think like, that's not enough. That's not a lot. No, it is like, that's miraculous. Like some people can't pull together 90 seconds right now. And that was me. I was out there and I couldn't pull together 90, 90 minutes. I couldn't, I couldn't fathom a life without alcohol. That had become my master. So what I'm so grateful for today is that, you know, I have, I have a way of living that really works. You know, we have this program here and it truly works. You know, I, when I start to get spun out about money, property, and prestige, you know, romance and finance, those are the two things that seem to like crop up and I just get all spun out and worked on, you know, like I can obsess about those things. And then it's like, wait a second. Okay. If I just get back to the solution, which is never changing, it's immutable truth. It's incredible that like to know that everything around me, including myself, my haircuts, whatever it is, it changes all the time. Everything is changing constantly except for the solution. The solution stays the same. And all the times that I come back, we read how it works. We read more about alcoholism. And, like, I've been hearing that for years now. And on a subconscious level, it was it was getting cataloged somewhere. It was registering. And now today, it's like some of those things that I was hearing back then are clicking. And actually, like, I'm getting to practice it and work this program in my life. Um, to draw a sober breath, I mean... I had a friend who she took someone through the 12 steps and they get to the 12th step and it says, you know, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. And so her sponsee is just like, okay, so waiting on that spiritual experience, like the spiritual awakening, like when is it going to happen? And so and she's like, all right, are you, are you sober right now? She goes, yes, of course I'm sober. You know, very, very Bill Wilson-like. She goes, yes, I'm sober right now. She goes, that's it. That's the spiritual awakening. That's it. So if you're sitting here sober right now, spoiler alert, that is the spiritual awakening. Is that as a result of these steps, like, I'm not picking up a drink right now. I mean, I I take some contrary actions, and they're contrary because they're contrary to what my brain wants to do. You know, I I was in a meeting the other day, and they were talking about the topic was self-reliance versus God-reliance. And I'm thinking, like, there was a lot of good shares in there that morning, and I was, like, barely waking up, and I'm listening. I'm just like, wow beautiful stuff. What a great way to start the day at 7 a.m. in a bar, belly up tavern. I'm like, what? This is so crazy. I've officially been there more times sober than drunk, which is really nice. And, um, and I'm hearing all this good stuff and I'm like driving away and talking to this gal who, you know, I get to manage a sober living today, which is pretty radical too. And I'm a realtor and like, you know, just all this crazy stuff. I'm like, you guys knew who I was, you know, and I'm just like here, just like all professional signing paperwork, just sign here, please. You know, and they're just like, like no clue who I was before. And, um, and they don't need to know, <laughs> but, but, but I, but I need to know that. I need to remember that and, um, and remember how progressive and beautiful this is. So I asked her, I'm like, so what would you have shared, you know, if you got called on about self reliance versus God reliance. And she's like, gosh, I don't know. That was a pretty heavy topic for 7am. I was like, yeah, I'm just kind of waking up too. And she's like, what would you have shared? And I'm like, well, come to think about it. You know, um, this program is all about, I come in here humiliated. I work these 12 steps. I find humility. And then that, that transmits to hope. And then that's what I get to share with others. You know, I come in your humiliation by working the 12 steps. I find humility and that 
turns to hope. Sharing that with everyone, and that's how I get, I give it away to keep it. That's another paradox, but I do. And um, so I'm like, okay, and humility, what's that? You know, it's, it's knowing the truth about myself. And the truth is that apart from God, I'm nothing and can do nothing. Apart from my higher power, you know, like I don't keep my own heart beating. I don't keep my, my lungs breathing. I don't allow my brain synapses to be firing. I, I could drop dead at any moment. And, you know, that's, that's, I'm not racing to the finish line today. You know, that's nice. Um, but, but, you know, that's the definition of humility. And so the fruit of that is not being disturbed by praise or criticism because I know what I am. And um, so I'm thinking, okay, so if that's the definition of humility and the converse of humility is pride, and that's ultimately what brings me back out is pride, self-will run riot, because I think I got this. Pride is saying like, oh, no, 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 there is no God. There is no higher power. There is no gratitude or death or good, good orderly direction. It's just about me. Me, 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 I, I, I. You know, that's insanity. Connecting too many dots and selfish and self-centered to the core cannot feel for anyone but myself. So then I come in here and I'm, I learn the definition of humility. I come humiliated, definition of humility, and I'm like, self-reliance, okay. So if apart from God, I have nothing can do nothing, then really self-reliance is a fantasy. It's, a, it's, it's what fuels this disease of perception. I, I have a disease of perception. I, I, my thinking is twisted. You know, I have this peculiar mental twist, it says. And I wake up with that peculiar mental twist where a drink sounds like a good idea sometimes. Or it's in my dreams. Or I had a 12-step dream, though, which was pretty awesome. I'm, like, at a bar, and someone's drinking. I'm like, dude. And they're in the program. And I'm, like, 12-stepping my friend in the dream. That's hilarious. Um, so healing is possible on the subconscious level. It can happen. Um, so that's nice, too. Um, but, yeah, like... So self-reliance is truly a fantasy. And whether I believe, you know, that I'm reliant upon God or not, that's up to me. But, like, for every man, woman, and child, like, like, that's how we're here. Like, and it says, you know, deep within us, there's that fundamental, you know, idea of God. You know, the great reality lies within, and we find it nowhere else. Great love and great suffering, those are the only disciplinarians we need. If you're hearing the word God right now and you're just like bristling with antagonism, I get it. I was there, absolutely, 110%. I use that word because you know what? Like, that's who I identify with. Like, that's that's my higher power today. Like, that's who I'm talking to all day throughout the day. And when I wake up disturbed in the middle of, night, of the night, that's who I'm reaching out to. And I, and I got in the practice of that by doing funny things like calling my sponsor every day. And I'm like, well, how is this going to help? Well, you're picking up the phone. You're not picking up a drink. You know, you're becoming accountable to somebody else. You're reaching out to someone outside of yourself. And that kind of warmed me up to the idea of prayer. You know, then it's like, okay. So, you know, because meditation, if I just meditate without prayer, that's the kind of scary place to be too. Because, um, you know, murder is premeditated. Uh, so I can, I, I can, I can, okay, okay. I can, I can meditate on all sorts of things, but it doesn't mean it's a good thing. So, so it's really important for me to, to bring God in. And so there's also this part in, in, in the book. It's the, they call it the acceptance prayer paragraph, right? And I remember hearing that. It's acceptance is the answer to all my problems today when I'm disturbed. And I remember hearing this, and they say it every, every time after the belly up meeting. And I would just, I would just bristle with antagonism. I was just like, what is this? This is a radical form of acceptance. There's no way I could get to that point. Oh, this is insane. I'm like, how are they saying this and chanting this? I'm like, that's nuts. The way you get there is the serenity prayer. Okay, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And then you read that acceptance prayer and you're like, oh, okay, now that's really beautiful. That's really radical. And like, 
I share these things because, you know, these, these truths, like I said, they're, they're immutable. They're unchanging. Like I, I could talk to you all until I'm blue in the face and try and convince you of just how beautiful and full this life is, but I'm, that may not be enough, you know? Um, and that's all right because it wasn't enough for me for quite some time. And, you know, my mother, God bless her, was, was looking at her child in her early twenties and thinking she was going to bury her kid. And, and I was, I was racing to do that. Um, but today that's not the case. Today I get to show up as, as a daughter, as a sister, as a friend, you know, as, as, um, like a therapist even. I'm like, it's so cool because we have these like sidewalk therapy sessions with people like, you know, in the rooms and outside of the rooms. It's like the meeting before the meeting, during the meeting, after the meeting, and then after the meeting at Denny's, you know what I mean? It's just like, we get to, we get to experience like this fourth dimension. We get rocketed to the fourth dimension. When I remember reading that line, I was like, fourth dimension, where are we going? And I'm like, I want to go there. And they're like, uh, and then years later, this was actually within this last year, someone informed me, um, the fourth dimension is actually just right now. It's the present moment. I'm like, you serious? <laughs> She's like, yeah, that's the, the fourth dimension of existence. I'm like, wow, okay. So like, let's get rocketed into that. Um, and what's pretty amazing is that, you know, the, the future, it's impossible for me to exist in the future. I mean, I can, I can, try with all my might, but I, I'm, I'm here, you know, um, it's impossible for me to go back into the past. You know, I, I can try with all my, but I'm here. Um, so there's really essentially three types of present that ex- coexists within my soul. There's the, the present time of things past, and that is memory, the present time of things present, and that's direct experience. And that's, and then the present time of things future, and that's expectation. Within memory, direct experience, and expectation, in my own self-will, it's misery. In, in my memories, it's morbid reflection. It's shame. It's beating myself up to the point of just like, screw it. Pour me, pour me, pour me a drink. Resentment and self-pity go hand in hand. And when I was told that, that was huge. Because I'm like, oh, God. Because they say resentment is the number one offender. You know, it takes us out more than anything to hold on to resentment. Bill Wilson says, if, if we don't forgive people, if we don't forgive others with everything we've got, then it is soul rotting for us. Soul rotting. And I've experienced that. And I can still experience that if I don't pick up these tools right away. If I get into action right away, get into that contrary action, right action into right thinking, not the other way around. So but with with God, with the help of a sponsor, that, that reflection on the past, yeah, it's hard. And going through and cleaning up the wreckage of my past, terrifying. But you know what? With the help of another, it can be done. And, and it can be a joyful experience all the way through, even in the midst of tears. And... And then you've got direct experience, present time of things present. And that can be a joyful experience if I'm actually present and making eye contact with you. If I'm actually sober and alert and aware. If I'm drinking right now, I'm not present. If I'm not working a program, I'm not present. I am absolutely checked out and numbed out in one way, shape, or form. And I'm of no use to God or the people around me. And that's, that's my purpose today, to be of maximum service to God and the people around me. So, And then... So direct experience, if I'm working these steps, if I'm asking God for help and God, how would you have me help this person and, you know, and listening and, and, you know, and taking direction, that can be a joyful thing. Um, and then there's the present time of things future and that's expectation. If I am in self-will, it is worry, it's anxiety, it's servile fear. It's like, well, I'll be punished, you know, but if I'm in God's will, 
it's, it's joyful anticipation for the future. It's, it's joyful anticipation for even the joyful reflection that I'm going to have on this present moment. And I'm going to look back and go, whoa, look at how that all worked out. Even when I got laid off from that job, I've been laid off in sobriety. I mean, I've, I've been bullied out of my own place in sobriety. I've been like, wow, what is happening? I don't understand, but God, you're freeing me up for something. And this suffering is going to help me to help more people. It's going to allow me to help more people in the midst of that suffering. You know, to, and that's only possible by way of, like it's been said, trust God, clean house, help others. Um, pleasures of the body, happiness is of the mind, joys of the heart and soul. I was seeking out pleasure of the body uh, over all things, and that's hedonism. That's it's terrible. It's really, it doesn't, doesn't work for me. Um, happiness of the mind, it's fleeting as well. Uh, it's not something that can be, you know, all the time because that's just impossible. People tell me today, they're like, you're just so happy all the time. I'm like, no, I'm not. That's, that's truly impossible to have happiness of the mind all the time because what about sorrow? What about sadness? What about, you know, all the other human emotions and the whole spectrum of being a human being, which I get to feel all of it today as a sober individual. And I'm so grateful, but then joys of the heart and soul. So how do I get joy? And it's like, it's been said tonight, clean house, trust God, help others. That is the formula for joy. If you're ever wondering, you're like, but how can I be joyful in this suffering? How can I be joyful in this headache or in this heartache? Clean house, trust God, help others. When I throw myself into the solution, that joy comes. It's, it's not something that I manufacture. It's of my heart and soul. I have a, a malady of the spirit, a soul sickness. And I believe every human being does. As alcoholics, it's just glaringly obvious. <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh. And praise God for that. I've got a solution. We've got a solution. You know, um, and I, I need a divine physician with holy sutures to sew up what I've got going on in here. What I was pulling apart, you know, just, just ripping open and sometimes putting band-aids on it. And that just doesn't work for me. To drink is to die. And that's explained here, you know, in Bill's story. Very logically, faith without works is dead, he said. And how appallingly true for the alcoholic. If I fail to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life through self-sacrifice and helping others, then I, when those certain low spots come up, certain, that's an, you know, it will happen, then I, I won't, I will, I'll pick up a drink again. It says it right there. I'm going to pick up a drink. And if I pick up a drink, then I will die. And then faith would be dead indeed. So this day is a gift. Absolutely. This moment is a gift. This very breath is a gift. It is a blessing. It is not something that I, I picked up. You know, this, none of this was my plan. You know, I didn't plan any of this. I, I, I love hearing the gratitude in like, all of the beauty that, that happens in our lives and how we still are kind of like, is this really going to happen? Like, I don't even, I don't even, I don't think I'm worthy of that. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know. And then other people are like, no, no, it's, it's, it's happening. And you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and like, if you're giggling right now, yay. Like, maybe it's happened for you. And maybe if you're not and you're, you know, keep coming back. You know what I'm saying? Like, just, just, just keep coming back. Like, I assure you, I heard that over and over again. I was met with the same lovey hugs and smiles. And I say it all the time. And I say, keep coming back, you know, to everyone, old timers, newcomers, you know, in betweeners, like whatever, like I, keep coming back because we need to hear what, what the old timers have to say. We need to hear what the newcomers have to say. 
we need to hear what that like kind of bizarre, like, you know, you're eight, nine, you're like, what the heck? You know, we need to hear what you've got to say too. It's like, it is just awesome. At every stage, it gets more uncomfortable, it seems, but more joyful. It's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I'm like, because misery is comfortable for me. Misery is very comfortable. Chaos is comfortable for me. Um, you know, brooding is comfortable for me. But joy, joy of the heart and soul, at first, that is very uncomfortable. It's terrifying even. But then it gets more beautiful and sweet as it goes on. Misery, it's sweet at first. It's that instant gratification, immediate gratification. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is good. And then it gets bitter as it goes on. You know, it's, it's very clear. There's a, you know infinite number of roads that we can take in this life. And now I have a chance with God and others to make decisions all day throughout the day. Am I going to choose the road of joy or the road of misery? The road of misery is my own self-will. That's self-reliance. It's a, it's a fallacy. It's, it's false. It's a fantasy. It's a lot of F words. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's not real. And when I accept spiritual help on that road of joy, in God's will, in higher powers will, in ocean's will, in alcoholics, not, I mean, it's not me, you guys. I'm not that defense against that first drink. It's got to come from a higher power. And um, that joy is extravagant. It's beyond anything that I can comprehend. It's beyond my understanding. And I don't feel deserving of it most most times. And I'm like, wow, this is just... And then I'm, I hear this small, quiet voice just say, just, no, just enjoy it. If I keep my soul right with God, I get to enjoy this life. I believe that God created us to enjoy this life. My, my self-will tells me that that's not true. My self-will, my disease of perception tells me a lot of lies and a lot of terrible things still to this day. And I have a place to go to tell on myself that I had those thoughts. I have a home group where I can tell these other women who are ailing from the same disease too and say, can you relate to this? And they go, yeah, I can. And here's how I walk through it. And you're going to get through it. I heard three things when I, when I kept coming back, which was keep coming back. You're going to be okay and expect a miracle. And I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to be okay, and I'm going to expect a miracle. And I tell you, standing here, I'm, I'm staring at so many miracles. Every single one of us like, is a walking, talking, breathing miracle. This is, this is miraculous. Like everything, everything out there tells us that we shouldn't be here. You know, The statistics are stacked, and yet here we are. I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to be alive. I... I wouldn't trade this very moment for anything. This brings me the most joy in the world. Never do I feel more clear about God's will than when I'm in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, when I'm doing step work with a sponsee or my sponsor. Those, those acts of service, that's where I find joy, that joy of the heart and soul. So I hope you all find that here too. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.